have no hands but yours to tend my sheep. No handkerchief but yours to dry the eyes of those who weep. I have no arms but yours with which to hold the ones grown weary from the struggle and weak from growing Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service. Above all, I'll seek out light, love, and helping hands being shared between our many neighbors on this planet, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. I have no way to open people's eyes Except that you will show them how to trust the inner My guest today on Spirit in Action is Aaron Elringer. Aaron Elringer's journey to living consciously, responsibly, and healthily on this planet has included a number of years working with Sanyata Food Co-op before its closing and as a major force in the creation of Just Local Food, a workers' collective bringing local and healthy food to Eau Claire. Just Local Food's flagship product included doorstep delivery of organic milk and dairy products and has grown to include a wide variety of meats, dairy products, vegetables and more primarily from local sources to minimize the ecological overhead and to maximize the local benefit. Through his work with Just Local Food, Aaron continues to live out the ecological values that he studied and learned while in college and the environmental activism which has become a central part of his life. Good morning, Aaron. Thanks for joining me for Spirit in Action. How are you doing? Are you badly sleep-deprived right now? I'm doing fine. I'm used to it now, if you can get used to it. How old are your two children? Size one and a half, and Olive is about four. Had you always planned on doing much of a family? Not really. In college, I had gone through a lot of environmental awareness education and eventually learned that population was a big problem in our world, especially people bringing up kids in America, where materialism and just the sheer amount of goods that an American human 
consumes is a problem and thought that I wouldn't have any children but after I met my wife realized that it can happen and we've done it and it's a it's a beautiful thing everything that's changed about myself and things that I've learned about the world I think hopefully will will turn out good in the end too many people having too many babies got to love them babies but there's too many people having too many babies got to love them babies but it's out of control and it's a sing along too many people having too many babies. Got to love them babies. Very important part. Got to love them babies. But there's too many people having too many babies. Got to love them babies. But it's out of control. Try it. Too many people having too many babies. Got to love them babies. But there's too many people having too many babies. Got to love them babies. But it's out of control. Add to Mandy. Time on their hands, hyperactive glands, room to expand. When they began begatting, they begatted to excess. Eschewing tactics, prophylactic, now we're in a mess because there's too many people having too many babies. Got to love them babies, but there's too many people having too many babies. Got to love them babies, but it's out of control. When Columbus sailed the ocean, we were 400 million Industrial Revolution, still under a billion The Great Depression hit 2.1 billion Now we're pushing the millennium, 6 billion and counting Civil wars rumbling, refugees stumbling Forests falling, deserts creeping Traffic crawling, resources depleting Shoppers shopping for pleasures fleeting when there's too many people having too many babies. Got to love them babies, but there's too many people having too many babies. Got to love them babies, but it's out of control. Once I lived in the city, it was too big and noisy, so I moved to the country to stop and smell the roses. All my city friends joined me and put up nice new houses. Now it's too big and noisy, think I'll move to the country. Some say no, 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 it's not the population, it's consumption, pollution, unequal distribution. I say that's so, but it's a simple equation Population times pollution equals no solution When there's too many people having too many babies Got to love them babies, but there's too many people having too many babies Got to love them babies, but it's out of control If you are a child, welcome to the world This blue-green earth is your gift by birth May you rock to its rhythms, may you sing its anthems And if you have babies, please stop that too Because there's too many people having too many babies Got to love them babies, but there's too many people having too many babies Got to love them babies, but it's out of control Too many people having too many babies Got to love them babies, but there's too many people having too many babies got to love them babies but please stop that too I really do think that having children is an important part of learning about connection with the world you talked about the environmental awareness which has grown in you where did that start from and 
what do you mean by your environmental awareness? I think environmental awareness maybe starts at birth or even in the womb, of course. For me, the environment that I kind of dream about or the environment I am aware of is the natural environment. Going to the farm where my dad grew up was very close to nature, and near my house there were woods and all sorts of other places that I explored as a child that I have now seen be consumed by concrete and pavement and cardboard houses. So the the initial awareness, and then in college, I started to learn about why those things happen, who's in control of them, and that's kind of a an education aspect. And then I tried to figure out what I could do about it, or things that I could do to preserve the natural environment, or at least help curb the destruction. What did you do in college? What did you study? What were your activities? One of the first things I remember doing was helping to organize a milk dump. It was when the recombinant bovine growth hormone was starting to become a new thing that they really wanted to put into the milk, put into cows to make them make more milk. And I worked with some local farmers and student organization on campus. We went down to Kerms on Water Street and uh, dumped a bunch of milk in the street. And I was dressed up like a cow. And from then on, it was really... The university was a place to meet people that were interested in making a difference in the world and learning about things and kind of experimenting with different ideas. And I also got to go to classes and and learn some good hard science about things and take some philosophy classes and expose myself to other things in the world. But mostly for me, college was interacting with people and just trying to rile things up a bit. Did you have a major or a couple majors? My major ended up being geology. I had a distinct interest in hydrogeology and groundwater flow and had a good experience learning about groundwater and politics with the Menards plant here in town and how they bought property around their buildings in order to control access to even testing the groundwater so that we had a hard time even finding out monitoring wells and how to put them in the right places and uh, dealing with the moneyed interests. So I got interested that way, but ended up uh, learning that a lot of hydrogeology was computer work and desk work, and I had kind of imagined doing more things outside or at least kind of a varied work atmosphere. So I just kind of tried to graduate at the end of things. Now, are these interests that hit you when you got to college, or do they have a basis in your family life and your high school life? I think when I moved to college... I redefined myself in a way, learning from my surroundings here in Eau Claire and fell into a group of friends and an interesting time in the world where we could try to make a difference. So what you're saying is these were not really the interests of your childhood or the values of your childhood, were they? No. For the last two years, you've been a principal player in what's called Just Local Food. What was the concept behind, what was the drive behind Just Local Food? The drive behind it is many varied drive. Um, It's a response to a need in our community for good food. And I had worked on farms. I've known farmers for a long time in the area who are growing wonderful food. And uh, through my experience at a former store in town, Senyata Food Co-op, I had met all sorts of people who liked to eat good food and uh, had noticed that those people weren't connecting with each other. And so there needed to be a more solid way for local farmers to connect with local consumers. And what we've done is kind of a response to that. It's a response to my need and desire to have a job where I don't have a boss, but 
actually work together with other people to accomplish our goals together. So uh, my own sustainable job, my own workplace and having control over what I'm doing and to make something happen in, in Eau Claire and to work with other people and to create other jobs, good jobs for other people and to make a positive impact in Eau Claire and do something good. All those things kind of came together and that's what we're doing now. I guess before I explore too deeply what Just Local Foods is doing, maybe we should talk about your experience with Sanyata. Sanyata Food Co-op started in the 1970s and ended, I think, in 2000. What drew you to Sanyata, and what about it eventually did not work for you? I originally went to Sanyata as a college job and was hired and worked there for quite some time with various people. One thing that happened while I was there was that a manager would burn out, and it was a sad thing where a, a good person was put into this uh, position of, of running an organization, and they had all the pressure and all the stress was put onto this one person, so that person would get tired and burn out. The workers who were baking bread and running the cash register and making sure the floors were clean and you know doing finances and all those other things were left to run the store after the manager would burn out. The workers, we had meetings, talked with each other, and made a proposal to the board that we run the store, and that we be allowed to establish a structure by which we would manage the co-op. And we successfully did that for a couple of years, where we didn't have a general manager or a boss necessarily, but all the workers together made the decisions and ran the store. And we had membership drive where we got the most members in a month ever in the history. We had the best sales in the history of the group.
march. Can be won, can be won. Many stones can form an arch. Singly none, singly none. And by union, what we will can be accomplished still. Drops of water. ended up, uh, in my opinion, being a problem where the structure of the organization was kind of getting in the way of its progress. The business was owned by over 500 people in the community, most of which didn't shop there or were definitely not involved in the day-to-day or even month-to-month operations of the store. And the workers who were there every day and were ready to make strategic decisions were kind of crippled and weren't able to make decisions to impact the positive direction of the business. So the business closed, and I think it was a good thing. Not everything is meant to live forever, and it's not really natural for something to to imagine something to just keep growing and growing and growing and never change significantly or metamorphose or lose its leaves or do different things. It's now thoroughly composted. New seeds have been planted here in, in Eau Claire, and different things are popping up t- as a response to the need for good, nutritious, healthy, local food. What were particularly the values, the part of Senyata that attracted you there that made it worth putting a whole lot of your life effort into trying to help that to mature? Most of the role that I saw Senyata taking in our community was a social need for a meeting place, a place for people where they where you kind of need to go there on a regular basis. You need to get your food. And it was a place to always run into somebody or to make a new connection. And when people are running into each other, that's when ideas start to form and new concepts take place and real change happens in our world. So just to have places like that, and I think Eau Claire has some of these places now and it can always use more. So to have a store, a place where... Someone can go and feel good about what they're doing. They're buying good, nutritious local food, and they're running into other people who are interested in making a small difference in our world. It's always a good thing. I think you've been doing some exploration with Just Local Foods as to exactly what its structure is. 
I believe you're a worker collective, but I think you're also experimenting with the co-op side. What is the structure of Just Local Foods, and maybe it's still evolving? It's definitely evolving. The way our society is structured is very complex, especially when you want to become a business. And so uh, officially, according to the state of Wisconsin, we are a Chapter 185 cooperative, which is we're official cooperative. We have it set so that the only people who are members of the co-op are the workers. Currently, there's five of us. So we are a co-op. There's no doubt about it, according to the state. However, when we look at other things, there's cooperative principles. These are official, internationally recognized cooperative principles. There's seven of them. And there's nobody really policing to make sure that we're adhering to all seven cooperative principles at any one time. But it's a generally recognized thing where you work together, you don't really compete with other things. An example of that is in Menominee, there's a store called Menominee Market. It's a food co-op. And we don't compete with them, we work with them. So we work with making deliveries together. We have farmers bring stuff there and we go and pick it up so the farmer doesn't have to drive so far. Our structure right now is no hierarchy. All the workers work together to accomplish what we do. And we do have someone whose primary responsibility is getting ready for deliveries and someone's primary responsibility is taking orders. But otherwise, we meet every once or twice a week. So, Aaron, you've referred a number of times to healthy food or good food or local food. What do you mean by that, and why are those things important? Good food, local food, nutritious food, it all kind of goes together. Food that's been grown by the world, by humans, by all the birds that peck at the seeds and the worms that dig through the earth. And more practically, it's food that you could actually go and see in various stages of growth, whether it's going and seeing the chicken that laid the egg or going to see the little carrot seedlings that are going to be planted in the ground a couple months from now. Local food is food that's grown near here so that in the real world, you know where it's coming from. You can meet the person who's tending the land. You can see how they dig it up and how they bring it to you. And by its own nature, when it's that close, it's fresh. They're picking it at the right time, not two weeks ahead of time because it needs to drive in a truck for a couple weeks. It's picked at the right time and it's brought to you fresh. And so those things equal uh, higher nutrition almost always. Good local nutritious food builds our soil, it protects our countryside and makes it a beautiful place to go and visit when we get out of town. It's nice to see small farms rather than giant factory bullsheds full of millions of animals cramped up next to each other. Um, there's all sorts of good things about local, fresh, nutritious food. I don't think you mentioned organic as one of your criteria there, but is that part of what you strive toward? Organic has many different definitions, of course. The definition when it comes to food is, is now a definition that's owned by the federal government. They define organic now. It's a USDA standard. And a lot of farmers fought hard to get this standard federal so that an organic potato in Michigan is an organic potato in Nevada. The original rules that were passed by the USDA were pretty good, and they met with the standards that farmers were actually using. Now, big businesses see organic as a growing interest amongst consumers, and 
uh, also, of course, a huge potential for profit. And so the corporations now, this includes people like Walmart who are selling organic and maybe the world's largest seller of certified organic food. However, when you look to see what organic can mean, according to the federal government, you realize that, unfortunately, some of the products you might find on the shelf, although they are stamped with a certified organic symbol, are not grown in the same manner that a small certified organic farmer near us here in Eau Claire would be growing things. This includes Horizon Dairy, which is a very widely distributed organic milk. They have been found to have factory farms of organic cows, which simply can't exist unless there's some federal rule that has a loophole that allows them to do that. And so you go to buy Horizon Organic Milk, and it's not really something that you'd want to be drinking if you're really looking for good, healthy, nutritious food that builds the soil, that nourishes the farmers, that nourishes the people that work on the farms, and that keeps the cows naturally healthy and free from disease and free from all sorts of need for antibiotics and chemicals and hormones. Here at our store, we sell organic things as much as possible. If a local grower has certified organic, we look at that as a good thing because it means that they're very aware of the rules and the need to build the soil along with just not using pesticides and herbicides that are chemicals. So we sell organic things. We also sell things that aren't organic. And there's a lot of farmers around here who see what has happened to the federal organic rules and say they don't want to be a part of it. And so we try to respect their need to be true to themselves and grow their food the way they want it without having to follow certain rules because I know that consumers, in the end, really just want a good, healthy locally grown food product and we don't necessarily need someone to put a stamp on it to make that happen. I'm not sure if you mentioned this or not, Aaron, but one of the significant aspects of having local food is that you don't have a tremendous energy cost to transport it in. In a time when we're worried about whether we have to go to war or not in order to guarantee access to petroleum, that seems significant. Do you know anything about the studies as to what portion of the energy used in producing a food is involved in its transportation all around the country and the world? I can't give you any standard numbers. I know that a a widely propagated fact, or at least estimation, is that most of the food that we eat comes from at least a thousand miles away. I've heard anywhere from 1,000 to two to 5,000. And so just the concept of food, just imagine a week's worth of your meals, putting all that in a suitcase and putting it on a plane to fly 2,000 miles to get to you. It's a concept that seems kind of ridiculous, and you wonder how we got to this point where there are farms within 10 miles of where we live that could probably grow every single thing that we want, save for the obvious banana, avocado, and and other things that just don't grow in our climate. But the point is, the amount of energy that goes into that, usually it's taken away from the farmer in the end. It reduces the amount of money that the farmer ends up getting. Here at our store, we're able to certify that at least two-thirds of what we are charging the customer is going to the farmer. And, uh, of course, the farmer isn't necessarily putting all that in his pocket. He's paying bills and, of course, paying for fuel for their tractors if they have them, paying wages to other people, buying seed. 
here at our store, I know that a large amount of the money is going to the farmer to, to run their business. And when you look at other food, it's anywhere from two cents on the dollar to a quarter of what the farmer ends up getting. That's an immense difference. Is there a whole family of farms that you're connected with here with Just Local Foods? Definitely. We work with over 40 local and regional suppliers right now, and you can probably meet a good number of them at the downtown Eau Claire Farmer's Market. That's kind of where our, our business has a lot of roots, by just by interacting and talking with a lot of the farmers down there. We recognized that when the, the farmer's market closes in the fall, they aren't able to sell much anymore and our business was a response to that need as well and some of the people that we met down there Vince and Julie Morrow out at Coon Creek Family Farm they're just between Eau Claire and Mondovi they like most of the farmers in Wisconsin in their entirety have other jobs though they work in town or in other places but they also are farmers they recently got their organic certification they have a very diverse farm they grow heritage turkeys these are turkeys that your great grandma would eat they're not all white meat or bread to have giant breasts or other funky things some of them were giant thundering turkeys that were beautiful blue and just these wild crazy creatures they also have a bunch of chickens Julie milks goats, so she makes handmade goat milk soap from the milk of her goats. They have some horses, and they grow all sorts of vegetables as well. Vince and Julie do all this. They have all these animals care for them. They have two kids, and they have jobs to basically subsidize all this. And of course, their goal is to work on the farm, and that's what they want to do. That They want that to be their focus. But in order to do that in today's world, like almost all farmers, have to have at least one person working off the farm. Often this is a result of the need for health insurance or uh, some other kind of required life necessity, just some cash at certain times of the year. So that's Vince and Julie. They're a wonderful farming family that is producing great food that lots of people in Eau Claire are eating right now. I remember the year that my granddaddy died Gone, gonna rise again Dug his grave on the mountainside Gone, gonna rise again I was too young to understand The way he felt about the land But I could read his history in his hands Gone, gonna rise again And the apples in the bin gone, gonna rise again. The ham in the smokehouse and cotton in the gin gone, gonna rise again. Cows in the barn and hogs in the lot, you know he never had a lot. But he worked like the devil for the little he got gone, gonna rise again. Apple trees on the mountainside Gone, gonna rise again He planted the 
thieves just before he died gone gonna rise again I guess he knew that he never see the red fruit hanging from the tree but he planted the seeds for his children and me gone gonna rise again Above the farm gone, gonna rise again. I think of my people that have gone on, gone, gonna rise again. Like a tree that grows in the mountain ground, the storms of life have cut them down. But the new wood springs from the roots underground, gone, gonna rise again. At one point in the past, you leaned towards eating raw foods, maybe primarily vegetarian, I'm not sure. And one thing I've noticed about your store now is there's plenty of meat in there, kind of healthy meat. Has there been a change in your philosophy and your values about that as the years have gone by? Life is a learning process, and it's learning about who we are, what we need, and our impacts in the world. And I became a vegetarian when I was in college. I was working at Herbert and Gerbert's while simultaneously taking a biology class where we were dissecting fetal pigs. And that day in lab, I was dissecting a fetal pig, and they inject this colored fluid into the arteries and veins, blue and and pink, so that you know while you're dissecting what is an artery and what's a vein. Later on, while I was at uh, Herbert and Gerbert slicing ham, I saw in the ham that I was slicing veins of the pink and blue, and I went to the back and threw up, and from that point on, for many years, I was a vegetarian. While working at Senyata, I was a baker for a long time and developed an allergy to wheat because I was inhaling flour dust as I was pouring flour into the mixer or putting bread together. So I became allergic to the point where I would eat something made from flour and I would sneeze or my nose would start running. And I developed a, a line of wheat-free and allergy-free muffins and baked goods, and that was about when Senyata ended up closing. I ended up moving to Colorado, and that's where I became primarily raw and vegan, wheat-free, had a very strict diet, and came over a lot of allergies and systemic health problems that I had had, and now am able to eat a wide variety of foods. I have started eating meat again, and it's an issue where I looked at what was available locally, what sorts of things were around me that I could eat. Meat was one of them, and I had been offered it by the farmers, uh, just learning about local food and needing to supply a year-round supply of food for people in Eau Claire. I knew that meat was going to be a part of that. By meeting the farmers, seeing what they're doing, seeing the animals, I no longer had an aversion to it that I did before, and so that's a choice I've made for myself. I don't judge anybody. I could certainly become a vegetarian again tomorrow if I wanted or needed to be. But right now, in my life, that's what I've chosen to do, and it's an okay decision. One of the factors that changes much of us is what kind of living situation we have, and you've got a family with two children. You were vegetarian, and maybe Jen was vegetarian. I don't know. How has that played out in your family life? How does that work as you're 
trying to juggle so many things, including what your family needs. Uh, it's been really fun because as the children get older, we talk about and learn about where our food comes from. And so it's really interesting to force that connection to a young mind where it's like, okay, we're going to eat a dead chicken now. And to be able to put it in those terms, and sometimes they'll think it's kind of silly. Like, oh, it's a dead chicken, you know, or you're being silly, Papa. But it's a dead chicken, and someone killed it, and that chicken was running around. So just being real about it, I think, is an important part. And I think a lot of kids naturally do become vegetarian, and, and a lot of people, for that matter, especially in today's world, where you learn where that chicken came from. I mean, really, where did that chicken that's on your plate or in that bag of food, where did that come from? If you learn where that comes from, you may or may not want to eat it. If you're shopping at Just Local Food, I can guarantee you that you can feel good about that. And, and I can introduce you to the farmer who, who raised the chickens and take you out to visit some of that chicken's relatives, possibly. <laughs> but from the store, those chickens were more part of a industrial factory system than any part of our natural world. So to be able to teach children, uh, myself, other people around here about where our food comes from and to help them make good choices it's a beautiful thing and if my children choose to become vegetarian that'd be awesome i would uh, join them in a second maybe we can look at some more of the overarching spiritual outlook social environmental principles that are part of who you are aaron i know some people who view humans as you know, the top of the chain, we're the most important and what's important for us matters, you know, and the fact that you're going to eliminate the snail darter doesn't matter to them. That we're supposed to have dominion over all the animals. What's your view about right relationship of Homo sapiens with other species? I think we should be a, a co-op together is really, I think, how we should be organized. Everybody should have our own little say in the world. And Humans have made a lot of what we call progress. I mean, that's the cement and the roads and, and all sorts of things. And that progress has taken the place of a lot of progress that other things had made for many years. The progress of the oak scrub and the progress of the prairie and the progress of the river flowing in a certain direction and forming oxbows that made Carson Park uh, where it is. That natural sort of progress has been now superseded in many places by our human version of progress. And I guess I'd like to help direct our progress in a way that allows animals a little more room again and native plants and room for other things to kind of exert their will upon our world. Flowers in the crack of the sidewalk, I think, are, are a beautiful thing, and dandelions and all that. Those are evidence of the natural world wanting to exert its idea of progress upon us again. Humans growing food and tending the earth can take different forms. You can drive down the highway and see an acres and acres and acres of corn and more corn and corn and corn. Or, or you can go to other places and you can see how the landscape can be changed by a, a small farm that's growing hundred different kind of vegetables which all have different flowers and different colored leaves and different heights and it's a beautiful diverse thing to look at so you know we impact in many ways and so for me by buying local food I know that I'm exerting that vision of 
the diverse landscape to our local countryside. I'm making that direct impact. And by starting this business, I'm allowing a whole lot of other people access to making that same impact. You know, now 65, 75, 100,000 people in Eau Claire can learn how to eat local food, meet the, the people who grow their food, and, and make an impact locally that way. I'm kind of assuming that something like the Ten Commandments doesn't hold much warmth for you, that probably your principles and values would be best expressed by kind of general aspirations. I think you expressed one of them just now, uh, and that was something about diversity. Are there other principles which are fundamental? I think you said co-ops, working together in partnership as opposed to competitive, and I think you said diversity is one of them. Are there other central principles that would be part of maybe uh, Aaron's ten suggestions or aspirations? Do I have any aspirations of, of that variety? Live and let live, I, I think, is there's room for, for all sorts of people, and we try to convince people of things that we feel are right and try to join with others when we think that they're doing something that, that's good or right. And, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. And people join me, I, I join other people who I think are doing cool things, you know, like the radio station that popped up in town and supporting Volume 1 and the other things that help kind of connect people in our community. You know, that's, that's what I want to do. You mentioned earlier progress, and frequently there's been a kind of a narrow view that progress is human technological progress. And something else you didn't talk about was efficiency. And sometimes that's been measured in how many bushels can you produce per acre. If you can up that, then you're doing better efficiently. Though there's other measures. I have a feeling that efficiency and this technological progress are just not as important to you. What would you say is important in their place? There's an inherent efficiency in local food and so just by having our food come from down the road is inherently I think more efficient than having our food a a carrot for instance coming from California as opposed from down the road uh, which we just got a shipment in late January of fresh local carrots Um, so it is possible there is efficiency but then there's another efficiency that I imagine in a business sense where a worker sitting at their desk not doing something is is inefficient. In our workplace, you know, it's okay to sit at your desk for a little bit and think or to take a break while you're on the delivery route or those sorts of hardcore efficiency. You need to be working all the time and not a square inch of your land should be unplanted. Those sorts of ideas of efficiency I don't think are really valid in what we're doing. The idea of progress in local farming, I believe, is looking back not just over the last 10 years or 20 years of progress in seeds and chemicals to apply and all these sorts of things, but looking at the progress that we made over the course of hundreds of years where we developed broccoli that made nice green heads when it was cold in northern Europe. And to be able to bring that sort of progress, these diversity of 300 different kinds of tomatoes, that's progress to me, not one kind of tomato that can sit in a truck for two weeks. That definition of progress is something that's happening. In Eau Claire, I see a lot of progress. I'll mention them again, Volume 1 and the radio station and WHYS and 96.3 in in Eau Claire is a form of progress, and that's where uh, it's progress where people are getting together, diverse people and diverse interests, and making their own little impact in the world. 
I wanted to explore a couple of the other exploits that you've been involved in. Uh, one of them is the kind of vehicle you drive, or some of the vehicles you drive. I believe you use vegetable-based diesel fuel for them. How'd that come about, and why do you do that? Well, the uh, power that I got to get down here today was mostly oatmeal, because I rode my bike, which is uh, the primary form of transportation. But I had done a lot of research on other ways of transporting ourselves around in the world and looking at sustainable development. And one of the things I ran across was the difference between diesel and gasoline engines and how diesels are a little bit more efficient. And then looking at uh, the kinds of fuel that can be used in place of diesel and how the diesel engine was originally built to run on peanut oil. And so I thought that was kind of cool and ran across people all around the world who are running their new diesel cars on various forms of vegetable oil or slightly variated forms of vegetable oil. So I found a diesel car for our family, and then we've got a fleet of diesel vehicles for our business now. And it's definitely an experiment. I mean, it's learning about what's available locally, what sorts of fuels can we make it ourselves, and, and so it's, it's been an interesting experiment for us can't say that it's for everybody and I don't even know if it's for us because it requires a lot of mechanical knowledge or chemical knowledge or understanding concepts of fuel and how an engine works and stuff because these things aren't really well formed. You can't take our vegetable oil powered car to the local mechanic because he's never probably seen a vegetable oil powered car before so learning it all by ourselves has been a challenge so that's what we're doing we're, we're trying to make an impact wherever we can another thing i know you were involved in aaron was some relief efforts to help out after hurricane katrina describe what those efforts were and what you did and why you did them after the hurricane, of course, in the days and, and week after it hit, we were able to hear news and see images of people that were suffering and in need of help. And we also saw what appeared to be maybe an inept government or a federal system that maybe most of us assumed would be able to respond to such a thing that wasn't. There wasn't this massive response or aid effort that was really apparently visible. And whether it happened or not, I, I can't tell for sure. But some people in Eau Claire and, and all over, of course, felt it their need to help. And so I was just part of that. Some people called around and found a school bus company, donated a school bus, and they needed someone to drive it. And I have a license to drive a school bus, although I wasn't honestly all that excited about going. It turned out that it wasn't really my choice because I have a family and I can't just leave, drive up school bus down south for three days and leave my kids behind because my wife works too and someone needs to care for them. So, you know, I ended up driving the bus, but it was a community effort and it could have been called exciting or people looked at it as, oh, you were the bus driver, but someone watched my kids while I was gone and those people need to be recognized for the effort that they made. And it was just kind of, kind of a form of work. I mean, I had my foot jammed on the gas pedal of this school bus for two days and it was hot and we delivered a bunch of goods and came back home and went on with life here. What did you deliver? Was part of this stuff from just local foods that became not local anymore? Some of it was. It wasn't our business necessarily. We, we talked to the farmers that are around here and they have a strong 
uh, desire to help people just like everybody else and and they gave what they could and it was very heartwarming to send down cases of water bottled on the local family farm here and to know the sacrifice that this local family farm made because I know that they're not making tons of money and that bottles cost money to them but they heard about what we were doing and they, they gave a whole bunch of what they had. So we brought that and we brought all sorts of other stuff. Hundreds, probably thousands of people in Eau Claire had backed into that bus. When you first started out with Just Local Foods, Aaron, you didn't have a storefront at that point. And now I think you're working with a storefront. Where are you in your progress? What actually is Just Local Foods? I think there's five of you involved right now. Tell us where your store is. The store is currently located downtown, Dead End Street, called Gibson, which is the street that goes under the parking ramp in front of the, the downtown hotel. And you need to find us. Come on Graham Avenue or Barstow or Farwell, all those streets run into Gibson. And it's a small store. We carry stuff from over 40 local farms, hundreds of products. We have frozen veggies and berries, grains, chips, pancake mixes, and maple syrup, coffee, and fresh bread now. All sorts of cheese and dairy product. There's meat, chicken, and turkey, and beef, and pork. All raised humanely on local farms with access to pasture and fresh air. And our stores open six days a week. The concept is just to give people here in Eau Claire and all around access to local food. The plans for Just Local Food are basically continuing our mission of local and fair trade. If it's produced locally, we're interested in helping whoever's producing it get access to people who want it and so we've sold some soap the beekeeper makes candles we sell candles someone else in eau claire started to make some candles from environmentally friendly materials and so we're selling those as well and health and beauty products like lip balm and and stuff like that that are made from local product by people making local jobs uh, available to people too so just expanding that over and over again is really what we imagine doing We'd like to make more jobs like mine and like the other people who work for Just Local Food just to have more people working with us. I don't think we necessarily need to have a structure that has members or consumers as owning the business in order for us to respond to consumer needs. Right now we're able to, if a customer asks us to, to carry a certain kind of bread, you know, we'll do our best to get that bread and they don't need to own a part of what we're doing or join a club or a pay me anything to let me know that they're looking for a certain product or would like us to do something differently. So I feel good about what we're doing as far as working with the community, working with the farmers, and that's what we want to continue to do. I think you missed mentioning one of your first products, and that is that you have milk delivery, right? That's right. We've been the milkman in town, and now there's another place that's another dairy in town that's been doing some home delivery, which is really great. There's more than one place that you can get stuff from now. But but we've been uh, doing home delivery, weekly home delivery of, of everything that we sell since we started, and we did that out of a need for us to get rolling with a business without having to spend all the money on a storefront, on all the equipment and refrigeration equipment required to open a store and, and all that upfront cost. We were just five fairly poor people here in Eau Claire that had a dream. And so we put together what little money we had ourselves, talked to the farmers who gave us product up front for a couple weeks so that we were able to sell the milk and then pay the farmer so that we didn't have to really outlay all that money. 
Uh, so it was really a beautiful thing that, that made it all happen in the beginning. And we started as a delivery service out of a need to get going with something. And in November of 2005, we opened our storefront. And that was a happy moment for us because now we have the beginnings of a space that people can start to run into one another and new ideas can happen and we can decide together where we want what we need in this community and where we want to grow. I've got to come back and clarify some of the points about the mouth because it's one of the things that's really impressed me. It kind of completed a circle with my childhood. I think when I was growing up, there still was milk delivered. Not much of it. But that milk also came in glass bottles instead of the plastic stuff, which is choking our planet. So it's organic milk, it's in glass bottles, and you can get delivered to your door. That is to say, you can have a real relationship with real people on a local farm producing it, delivering it to your door, and in a way that isn't going to degrade our environment. I found that a very impressive, well-rounded concept. Now, I'm not taking uh, shots at you or or anything, but one of the local foods that you sell at your co-op is some chocolate, right? Why do you carry that particular chocolate? I guess along with your coffee. We sell the chocolate to make a connection in people's minds that the concept of fair trade doesn't need to be... When people think of fair trade now, it's usually some distant concept of uh, some poor farmer or some poor factory worker in a different country and just this kind of vague notion of them getting paid a little more. But for me and for our store, fair trade is a a relationship that we have to whatever it is that we're consuming or buying or, or in our case, selling. And we picked up the coffee, seemed a natural fit because there was a local nonprofit group of farmers called Farmer to Farmer. They go down to Guatemala and interact with this village of people. And actually, some of our customers of Just Local Food who had been buying coffee have just gone to Guatemala now. And so someone that we kind of introduced to this coffee is now going down to the village where the coffee is grown. And that's the concept of fair trade that we're looking at, is now this person's going to come back home to Eau Claire and they're going to have an experience of where that coffee came from. It's going to have meaning to them and they're going to share that with friends, maybe their church. They're going to talk about it and the concept of fair trade is going to get more and more. We try to introduce the concept of fair trade to all the farmers that we work with here locally, too. And that is that they need to make money to stay sustainable, and we need to do the same as the middleman, as just local food, as the store. You know, the farmer and the store need to make money in order for the consumer to be able to do this on a sustainable basis. So in our need to make money, we need to have as many products as we can on the shelves. And so when we find something local, something fair trade, something that our customers have asked for, we pick it up. Equal Exchange is a worker-owned cooperative based in New York. They've been around uh, basically since the beginning of this concept of fair trade coffee and have worked with cooperatives around the world of farmers who are growing coffee and cocoa beans and have a a network now of worker fair trade cooperatives from the cocoa bean where it was grown to where it was manufactured into a chocolate bar to where it was boxed up and packaged to where it was brought to us here in Eau Claire. And so that's another connection. That's a fair trade connection that we feel strongly about and to introduce people to the idea that you can get all sorts of different goods that 
uh, treat people right the way we would want to be treated. Well, Aaron, if people wanted to get a hold of you besides driving down the store, is there a website, phone number where folks can track you down? We have a website with uh, a small introduction to all of our farmers and descriptions of products and the different services that we offer. It's at justlocalfood.com. There's someone down at our store six days a week, Monday through Saturday, and people are welcome to give us a call or leave us a message, and that's at 577-5564. And otherwise, it's really great to come down to the store and see the hundreds of things right now that are available and and just imagine the breadth and the beautiful store that we're going to grow into as we continue to to find local suppliers of all sorts of different great food and other things. Aaron, thanks for taking time out of your sleep-deprived day. I probably got you here earlier than you probably wanted to get up and get moving, but I appreciate your work, not just with Just Local Food, but your work for peace and justice and your work with Senyata, your work for the environment I really think that Eau Claire is just really fortunate to have someone with your vision and commitment working here locally. And I'm proud to live in a community that supports all sorts of interesting, underground, emerging, progressive things. And that this radio station is here to to make this all possible, and that likewise you and your family and the people we interact with are all doing wonderful things. So thank you as well. You've been listening to an interview with Aaron Elringer, active with Just Local Food in Eau Claire. You can listen to this program again and access information about it via my website at northernspiritradio.org. Music featured on this program has included Too Many People by Fred Small, Step by Step by John McCutcheon, and Gone, Gonna Rise Again by Sycon. The theme music for Spirit in Action is I Have No Hands But Yours by Carol Johnson. Thank you for listening. I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. You can email me at helpsmeet at usa.net. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. I have no higher cause for you than Joy and selflessness. To love and serve your neighbor in joy and selflessness.